Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Mark's Gospel, chapter 12. Man, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Is uh, where we're going to land. You guys feel good today? You know why? Because it's a special day. Cassie, what day is it? It's Matt's birthday! He is so generous. He said he didn't want anything for his birthday this year. (laughs) Now if you'll buy that. So let's do it. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Matt. Happy birthday to you. Woo! Love you, buddy. It was at that point he was weeping in first service, so nobody loved me. So. Um, all my guys in the room, teenagers, men, ugh, guys that like, you know, to eat hamburgers and stuff. So put September 12th on your calendar. I know... Talk about this every week. It'll start popping up in the loop in the next couple of weeks. And that's a guy's night only. And uh, it's going to be fun. Ladies, don't worry. It's, it's safe. And uh, we are just going to do guy stuff like eat grilled meat. Oh. And uh, then we're just going to talk about being men of God and leading in our homes and our workplace and our schools and leading with boldness and courage the way God needs us to. Amen, everybody? So a, um, a farmer found himself in a courtroom because his truck had been hit in an accident and the insurance company of the other driver wasn't wanting to pay any of the damage. So here the farmer was up on the stand and the lawyer's kind of coming at him and asking, he says, Farmer Jones, at the scene, did you say, I'm fine? And the farmer started, well, you see, I was hauling my mule, Bessie. And the lawyer interrupted and says, stop, just Just answer the question. I didn't ask about your mule. Did you say, I'm fine? And as I was leaving the four-way stop, right in the middle of the intersection, Farmer Jones, I don't care about your mule. Just answer the question. At the scene, did you say, I am fine? And finally, at this point, the judge kind of gets involved and said, I kind of want to hear the story. Farmer Jones continued. Well, I had pulled up to a four-way stop, and I had stopped, and as I was leaving the stop sign, that's when this truck ran his stop sign and totally just T-boned me and tore my truck up real good. But Your Honor, it knocked my stock trailer loose, and my poor mule, Bessie, she was hurt something real bad. She's over there laying down in the ditch just making an awful fuss. It was about that time that the county sheriff pulled up Walked over and he saw old Bessie was just hurting real bad. Well, he pulled out his pistol and he shot her. And then he walked over to me. He still had the gun in his hand. He said, old Bessie was beat up pretty bad, so I had to shoot her. How are you feeling? <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> Mark chapter 12 is where we're at. And that man, Mark chapter 12, there's just a lot. There's a lot in here. Matt and I were talking about this week. In, even in this, we're in what we would call 
Passion Week or Holy Week, Jesus is in Jerusalem. And it's in the days leading up to his eventual arrest and kind of a trial that's a rigged jury, if you will. He'll be crucified on Friday, lay in the cold tomb on Saturday, and he'll be resurrected on Sunday. Amen, everybody? And so these are the days, and there's just so much in Mark's gospel over the next few weeks that we're going to be digging into. I'm in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, and it says, One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. Okay, keep in mind, Jesus is in Jerusalem. And there's, last week we talked about, there's all these different groups of religious people that are mentioned, from scribes to chief priests to the high priests to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, all these people. And so one of these teachers of religious law, he's sitting there listening to Jesus engage with this crowd that's asking him questions. And, and some of the Pharisees and Sadducees are trying to debate Jesus. And, and this teacher of the law realized Jesus has answered pretty well. So he pipes up and he asks this question. So of all the commandments... Which one's the most important? And so I want you to notice the language. This is out of the New Living Translation. The language of this is ask in, in a singular form, right? So of all the commandments, which is? Not which ones are, which is. You could word this, which one is the most important? So it's asked in a very singular method. And you're going to notice over the next few verses, Jesus answers one, but he immediately goes into and gives him two answers to his question, verse 29, Jesus replied, the most important commandment to this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The second is equally important. Don't even stop. The second one is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And the teacher of religious law replied, well said, not that Jesus needed his affirmation, but well said, teacher. You've spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it's important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and, and love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. I love verse 34. We won't have time to dig into it much today, but like in this conversation, realizing how much that man understood Jesus said to him, we'll put it in the BKV, buddy, you almost got it. You're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. All year, we've been walking through the story of Jesus. And this is Mark's telling of the story. Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Luke tell this story. So the three synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all tell this version of the story. Some have it a little bit different places in the timeline. John doesn't necessarily tell the story. He kind of comes at the same idea, but John doesn't tell it. What's interesting about Luke's telling is that Luke actually uses this dialogue, if you will, as a springboard into one of Jesus' most famous parables. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan, where a leader would go on and clarify and say, well, Jesus, just, just who is my neighbor? And Jesus would tell that story about the Good Samaritan. Like I say, John doesn't tell this story exactly, but he reinforces this idea of loving God and, of course, loving our neighbor. This conversation, this idea, it is so foundational to our theology. As Christians, Jesus was simplifying things. Let me explain what I mean. When Jesus came on the scene, the, the Jewish religion 
had 613 laws to abide by, okay? Let me unpack that and how we got there. So I'm going to go back to its origin. I'm going to go back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Genesis, Genesis means beginnings or origins. And so it's the story of creation. It's the story of Adam and Eve, and it's the story of Noah. But then there's this important covenant that comes along between Abraham and God makes this covenant with Abraham and says, like, your descendants will be my people. And if you're a Hebrew or a Jew, you're a descendant of Abraham. So it's the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and eventually the story of Joseph. At the end of Genesis, the descendants of Abraham, the Jewish people, they move to Egypt in a good way. It's a good thing that they go to Egypt. The land had been in a famine Joseph had wound in a high position in Egypt. And literally the descendants of Abraham were all invited as honored guests to come live in the land of Egypt. That's how Genesis ends. The next four books, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy would be about the exit from Egypt or the exodus, if you will. Now, while they're moving into Egypt was good and positive, after some time, the Egyptians really kind of begin to get nervous about the Jewish people. Like God had his hand of blessing upon them and they were growing and, and, and they were prospering. And, and so the Egyptian people thought, well, you know what? They're eventually going to be bigger than us in number. And so they might just overthrow us and take over our kingdom. So they began to oppress the Jewish people and they made them slaves. For 430 years, the descendants of Abraham were slaves in Egypt. And God hears their cries. The book of Exodus tells the story where God sent Moses to go and lead them out of slavery. Here's the problem. They had always been slaves for eight, ten generations. They had always been slaves. They had been told what to do. They had been told what to eat, when they could eat, how they could act, how they would behave. They had always been governed. And Moses leads them out of Egypt they had no clue how to be free. They had no idea how to govern themselves. They had no idea what freedom meant. So God gives them these rules. God gives these laws to live by. And at first it starts with the 10. Like if you'll do these, then you'll be good. And it's the top 10 commandments, right? But from there, God would expand upon what it really means to not cheat or lie or steal or, or covet. And I want to give you an example. Leviticus chapter 19. You don't have to turn there. But this is a good example passage. Because as you're reading Leviticus 19, it feels like you're reading the Ten Commandments. So this is one of those places where God has taken the Ten Commandments to his prophet Moses. And he's expanding on them a little bit. So he's talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about don't lie and cheat and, and steal and what that would look like, right? But he also, in this same passage, gives them very practical, daily, lifestyle, healthy advice. I'm going to show that to you. If you're still awake, say, yeah. All right, Leviticus 19, verse 5. When you sacrifice a peace offering to the Lord... Offer it properly so you will be accepted by God. Verse 6, the sacrifice must be eaten on the same day you offer it or the next day. Now whatever is left over until the third day, don't eat that. It must be completely burned up. Verse 7, if any of the sacrifice is eaten on the third day, it will be contaminated. And I'll not accept it. 
Anyone who eats it on the third day will be punished for defiling what is holy to the Lord, and they will be cut off from the community. Now, that seems a little bit drastic, okay? So just this passage here, just three verses here, we need to honor God with, with making that peace offering, that peace sacrifice, and, and that's a whole other conversation to get into the sacrifices, right? But there were certain sacrifices that you would offer part, and it would be burned up, but then you could eat part of that. And what Leviticus 19 just says, you can eat it on the first day, and you can have leftovers on the second day, but they didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have a way of keeping the, the meat cool. They didn't have a freezer to put it in or a refrigerator, right? So by the third day, most likely, the meat would be spoiled. So it was against God's law to eat meat on the third day after it had been sacrificed. That law was for their good. It was for their protection. It was so, you know, that they wouldn't have an issue at night when they're trying to sleep, all right? Third day meat was considered unclean. It was considered defiled. And if someone ate it, like it says, they, they needed to be, like, put out of the community. We would say in America in 2023, we're like, well, if they're dumb enough to eat that on the third day and let them pay the consequences with their gut, you know what I'm saying? They won't spend the night on the privy, let them, whatever, right? But the reason for verse eight and why it's so harsh is if someone would disobey a law that was designed for their own good, for their own protection, for their own benefit, if they would disobey that law, then they don't completely understand the wisdom of God. Okay? And they also would, would have no regard for other laws. Maybe laws that have more serious consequences than a bad case of diarrhea, right? And whether they understand it or not, sometimes we just have to obey God's laws. Even today, like we, we will obey if we understand. But if we don't understand that rule, like we as Americans want to push, but I guess I just don't understand why I have to, right? But there are laws, there are rules where God sees a bigger picture that we can't see. Whether we see it or not, we still need to obey them. That's a good place to say Amen. For example, here's another one. Marrying foreign women. Now, to us, it's no big deal. You know what I'm saying? Matter of fact, this rule today would come across as racist. But if you were to keep reading in Leviticus, it would talk about, listen, young Jewish boys do not marry women from other nations. Young Jewish girls do not marry men from, from other nations. Well, it's just one and she's really, really sweet, and she wants to come be a part of us. So I don't, I don't understand what just, what just one, why she, I mean, she says she wants to come live like we do. But one turns into ten, and then ten turns into a mass, right? And these women from other nations, from foreign nations, they will lead your young men. They will lead your young women. And their kids that they have, she is going to teach them about the God's of her land, the gods of her ancestors. And this issue right here was the very issue that led to the downfall of the nation of Israel is because you had passive men that disobeyed a law of God. Well, I just don't understand what the big deal is. It's just one and she's sweet. One turns into 10, 10 turns into an entire nation. And they let foreign women marry in. They led them astray. They raised their kids to worship Baal and other gods. In the beginning, it wasn't that big of a deal, right? She was just a sweet girl. 
But Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy are full of laws just like this. So when you read those books, I want you to keep in mind God is nation building. They had always been slaves. They really didn't know how to treat their neighbor because they had Egyptian policemen to keep them in line. They didn't know how to govern themselves because they'd always been governed. Okay? And so some of the laws have to do with how to run a country, with how to govern and how to settle civil disputes. And by the way, it'd be best not to have those, so don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat. Okay? The, some of the other laws have to do with protection. Like don't eat meat on the third day, otherwise you're going to spend the night on the potty. This eventually expanded to 613 Jewish laws that a religious system would take God's laws and expand upon it. And here's the deal. In the beginning, their heart was pure. Well, if the Bible says don't eat meat on the third day, I want to make sure I don't even get close to the third day. So tell you what, I'm not going to eat meat after 2 o'clock on day two, just, just because, if God, like that was their initial heart. They would take what God said and they would create some cushion. And the next thing you know, this became a very robust, a very heavy religious system that Jesus was born into. One moment, one conversation, Jesus took 613 Hebrew laws and he simplified them into two. And I'm gonna show you how. In verse 28, this teacher of the religious law. He's listening to this debate. He's listening to Jesus. He's not wrong in what he's saying. Matter of fact, kind of like what I hear. Jesus, I got a question for you. Which one of the commandments is most important? And Jesus doesn't answer that question with one answer. He actually gives him two, and he puts them in priority order. So the first part of Jesus' answer, which we'll look at in just a second, Mark 12, 29, we've already read it. Jesus is actually quoting Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Jesus is literally just, so it would, be a, it would be a verse they would be familiar with. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 6. Here it is in Mark 12, verse 29. Jesus said the most important commandment is this. And here's where he starts quoting Deuteronomy 6. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Now what's interesting there is Jesus added the word mind. Deuteron- if you go look up and cross-reference that with Deuteronomy chapter 6, it just says, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. Jesus is like, no, 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 listen, you need to love him fully. And here's the deal. You can love God with your mind and still get along with science. You can love God with your mind and still be a highly educated person. Just because you're a person of faith doesn't mean you're an uneducated hick from Talala. Now, I am, but that don't mean you are, all right? And so Jesus is like with everything, with your soul, your mind, your strength, love the Lord, your God. Okay, so here's the idea. If I love God, and and so the first 10 commandments, let's just simplify down to the, not the 613, but the first 10 commandments, the first four have to do with our relationship with God. It's like, okay, have no other gods. Okay, well, if I love God, I won't have any other gods. He's the way, the truth, and the life. You're my one true God. The second commandment was make no graven images. Don't have an idol. Well, if I have one God, I'm, I'm not going to make any graven images or idol and serve that. It's, it's much like the first commandment. And then the third one is don't take the Lord's name in vain. Well, God, if I love you, I'm going to honor you. 
I'm not going to speak ill of your name. I'm not going to use your name as profanity or take your name in vain. And then the fourth one is some about honoring God, but it's some for our protection. I'm going to have a Sabbath day. I'm going to take a day where I, I rest. But more importantly, I'm going to worship. And so if I love God, I'm going to do those four things. I don't have to remember a bunch of rules. I'm just going to love him. And serve him and honor him and, and not build other gods and, and take a day where I spend time with him, all right? Jesus doesn't even stop. He goes right into the second commandment, okay? So here he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, but the second answer, he actually quotes Leviticus 19. I'm not uh, going to put it on the board, but I'm going to show you in Mark chapter 12. But he, he, we pulled up Leviticus 19 a minute ago. Same passage. Jesus quotes... Leviticus 19, okay? The bottom half of the Ten Commandments. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't dip or chew or date girls who do. No, that's, that's not in there, right? Okay. But they have to do with our relationship with people. If I love you, I'm not going to lie to you. If I love you, I'm not going to cheat you. If I love you, I'm not going to commit adultery, all right? And so Jesus takes those and he pulls them down into one commandment. At the end of Leviticus 19, and it reads a lot like the Ten Commandments. It's the Ten Commandments with some explanation. It's the Ten Commandments with some addition. At the end of that whole passage, they sum it up with this one thing. And Jesus quotes it in Mark 12. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's directly from Leviticus chapter 19. He says, no other commandments are greater than these. A couple of quick thoughts. Number one, loving God is easier than loving people. Can I get an amen? Because loving people is a challenge. God is merciful. God is full of grace. God gives us his spirit to empower us even to get through the trials. It is easier to love God than it is to love people. Number one, because God's perfect and people ain't. Even in the bad days, even when life doesn't go our way, even in grief and in loss, it is easier to love God than it is to love people. But loving people is one of the ways that I love God. Loving people is a challenge, but you can't love God unless you love people. That's why Luke's version of this story goes into the detail about the Good Samaritan. And the Samaritans were, like to a Jewish person, they were despised because they had married the girls from the other tribes. They had watered down what it meant to be a Jew. They, they were somewhat societal outcasts. It would literally be like a Sooner fan in the midst of a bunch of Texas Longhorn people. Yelling out, boomer sooner. That ain't going to go well. You know what I'm saying? When you said Samaritan, there was like, eh. And so this teacher has this conversation with Jesus, and he's like, well, I've loved my neighbors. I've loved my brother. So explain to me, Jesus, who my neighbor is. And he's like, well, if you're a Sooner fan, your neighbor's a Longhorn. Oh, that ain't going to be pretty. Because he was trying to justify his own action and his own behavior. Okay? In 2023, it is getting harder and harder and harder to love our neighbor. Because there is a narrative, and I don't even want to talk about who's behind it or who's responsible for it, how it got here, but there is a narrative to divide people in the world today. It's easy to love people who act, love, behave, dress, think, vote like I do. It's a lot harder if they don't behave, think, act, vote like I do, but God said there's, there's no, we're still called to love them. 
which leads to a bigger question with this verse. And I wrestled, and I wrestled, and I wrestled, and I'm telling you, on Thursday, I was going one day with this, one way with this message, and I just kept coming back and kept coming back to this bigger question with this verse that I think is a very real, it's very applicable to living in Oklahoma in 2022 and 23. How do I love my neighbor but not affirm their behavior? Pretty simple answer, it's just hard to do. How do I love my neighbor and not affirm their behavior the same way God does? Because God loves unconditionally, amen? But he only approves of behavior that is beneficial and holy. God, in fact, you can make a solid, strong biblical case that loving someone really is showing them Listen, there's a better way. God's ways work every time. There is a life full of joy and fulfillment. It won't be perfect, but we were created to be in relationship with our creator. And I'm truly loving you. If I can share the secret of life with you, like it ain't always easy and it ain't always perfect. And just because I become a Christian doesn't mean I don't have flat tires and the car don't get broke down and kids don't go crazy. But I'm just telling you, we were created to live this joy-filled life in relationship with our creator. True love is pointing people in a biblical way that they can have that relationship through Jesus Christ. Didn't say perfect. I said joy-filled. Let me show it to you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to let us do whatever we want to, whenever we want to, like a bunch of spoiled brats. That is not what that says. It is useful to teach us, meaning wherever we're at in our Christian walk with Christ, we need to be learning. God's word is here to teach us what is true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us, and boy, we don't like that. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us uh, to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Somebody ought to say amen. How do I love my neighbor and not affirm an unhealthy, sinful behavior? Because that is a tension that we as Christians are put into. Number one, show mercy because I need mercy. Like I used to be that person. I used to be that person that was making sinful decisions. I used to be that person that wasn't, wasn't, even as a believer, I wasn't doing things that really brought glory to God and it wasn't the best version of myself that could be. There were times that I needed mercy. And so if we're gonna love our neighbor, like the Bible says that kindness leads to repentance. And I think many times Christians or, or the church or even denominations get this wrong because we're just throwing rocks instead of extending that mercy that's been extended to you and I. Matthew 7, 1, don't judge others. You'll be, not be judged. Will you be treated as you treat other people? I needed mercy, someone showed me mercy. I should be willing to show mercy. The standard for us is judging by the standard which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you got this long, big old plank sticking out of yours? The truth is, we were that person. I was that person. Once upon a time, someone shared mercy. Someone shared the secret of life with me. And I was that person that needed mercy. And I was that person that I didn't need anybody to judge me. I just needed somebody to lead me to the foot of Jesus. 
And sometimes I'm still that person. I'm thankful that the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. Amen. But because mercy has been shown and given to me, I need to be willing to show mercy. Loving your neighbor is showing them Jesus. Loving your neighbor is praying for their salvation. It's pointing them to a cross. Number two, show care because I need to be cared for. How do I love my neighbor? I show care because at some point I need to be cared for. This is why Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan right after this. Okay? If you were beaten and left for dead on the side of the road, wouldn't you hope that someone would stop and care? If your kids were in a car wreck and on the side of the road, wouldn't you hope that someone would stop and show care and concern for your kids, for your family? Now listen, I don't, I don't want to let us off the hook here, but this is one of the things that I love about this place. The things I love about Hill Springs, one of the things I love about this community. I feel like we do a pretty good job of loving our neighbor. I feel like we do a good job of caring for our neighbor. Back whenever that storm that came through that ripped your roof off, remember that craziness? You know what I'm saying? There were trees down everywhere. People had roof damage. There were people, that storm came through on a Saturday night, Sunday morning. There were people on chainsaws working on one of our disaster relief crews on Sunday in somebody else's yard, somebody else's neighborhood, and they had worse damage than that back at their own place. But they were loving their neighbor. They were saying, listen, I, I'll, I'll take care of me and mine, and the right, but I, I prefer helping you. You're in a situation where you, you could use some help. So we had literally had people out loving their neighbor when their yard, their situation was worse. That's what it means to love your neighbor. That's what it means to love your neighbor, the Sand Springs or Berry Hill or Manford or West Tulsa or Kellyville way. So number one, show mercy because I need mercy. Show care because I need care. Number three is show service because at some point I may need to be served. Don't like it. I'm the one that rather get up and, and, and do for you, but I need to show service because there may be a time where I need to be served. And there's a story right here of that exact thing where Jesus served his disciples and one of them even argued with him. No, 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 Jesus, don't. In John chapter 13, I want, you to, I want you to follow the progression of this. John chapter 13, verse three, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. It's important that John mentions that, that Jesus knew the Father had given him authority over everything, like he is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Like he don't have to serve anybody with the snap of his fingers. He could have called down angels and unseated Caesar and unseated all the world leaders of the time, and he could have set up his earthly kingdom right then and there. Jesus knew the Father had given him authority over everything. And that he had come from God and he would return to God. Verse 4, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet. Jesus knew he had authority over everything. And he got up and washed feet anyway, drying them with the towel that he had around him. It's an interesting progression. Jesus knew he had authority, got up, grabbed a basin, grabbed a towel, and wash their feet. By the way, washing of the feet, that was for the last person hired. That was the new hireling. That was their job. That was the bottom of the employee servant 
totem pole. You're the last one hired, you're the one has got to wash the stinky feet. Jesus knew he had authority. He didn't have to wash anyone's feet. He could have asked anyone, hey, you want to get that basin over here and come hook your brother up? He didn't. He humbled himself and he served them anyway. I love the serving culture of our church. I mean, we have a whole day in the summer we call serve day. We're just trying to love our neighbor. Just trying to serve them. Trying to get a chainsaw and cut the limbs out of their yard. And closely related to that is showing humility. Humility really is an act of love. Number four. Philippians 2 says it this way, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, only your own interests, but take an interest in others as well. Like humility really is a powerful act of love. If we choose humility, we will love our neighbor. If we choose humility, we will prefer our neighbor over our own interest. And number five, really what this all boils down to is show the way to Jesus. I'll be honest with you, in this climate we live in today, loving your neighbor can feel like I'm asking you to be a doormat. And in many ways we should. In many ways, kindness leads to repentance. We need to make sure we're showing mercy. We need to make sure we're serving. We need to make sure we're checking those boxes, right? But there's also in this culture of, well, don't judge me. And, and, and a lot of Christians, a lot of churches have gotten this wrong, and maybe some of you have as well. But don't judge me, don't, don't question me. I don't, I don't want to come across as judgmental. I just want to love. But how do I love my neighbor and not affirm their sinful lifestyle? There has to be an end to the means. If you just love and don't point people to the cross, you're a good person, you're just not a loving person. If you just give food, but you don't tell them about Jesus, you're doing good works, but you're not loving them. If you're just helping someone and you don't use that to open up the door to share the gospel, you're a good person. But the most loving thing we can do is show them the way to Jesus because that's why you're here, is because Jesus changed your life. You're here because you know God's ways work the best ways. You're here because you have a filled life with Christ and it's fulfilling, even in bad days. Yes, I know, but Jesus is still here. That's why we're here. And it's unloving not to share this with people. I hope I said that right. So I believe it was about 2006. And I had this crazy idea of taking three van loads of teenagers to Hotlanta, Georgia. So Jensen Franklin, his church, put on a youth conference called Forward. And of course, Jensen spoke and T.D. Jake spoke. And man, I just wanted our kids to be in the room with, with those anointed preachers. And I wanted those kids to hear those guys call out God's destiny in their lives. So on the ad, when Jensen was on TV and they talked about this forward conference, I remember at the end of that, they said, and if you want for your kids to do like service projects while they're here part of the conference, we can arrange that. And so I wrote down the phone number and I called and sure enough, they had a program for youth groups that were coming. Of a morning, you could go into some of these projects and you could serve. 
And then in the afternoon, you go back to your hotel, rest up, or well, not the teenagers rest, but you know, you kind of get cleaned up and then the conference would start late afternoon and, and go into the evening. So we did, we signed up for that. And so here, three van loads of teenagers, we go in the zip code that we were in and the projects in Hotlanta, Georgia, that zip code was the highest in America for AIDS and syphilis infestations. We'd be walking through these, you know, government projects, but don't, don't, don't touch that. That's not a Ziploc bag. Uh-uh. No, don't touch that, you know. Like, I mean, we adults were, you know, we're a bunch of rednecks from Sand Springs, Oklahoma, and we're like, just stay close to the kids, you know. We took them in, and it was amazing for them to see that there are parts of America that don't have it as nice as we do. And so half of the kids would go off with, with this organization we work with and they would do kind of a block party, kind of VBS tile stuff and fun stuff for kids. And, and then the other half, like we were just tasked with picking up trash around, uh, around the project. And me and big old kid named Chris, we were about done with day two. We were just kind of making one more loop and we were kind of just me and him on the backside of this project and we had our trash bag and we were just picking up trash. There's a lady sitting outside just kind of on her little back patio thing and she goes why are you picking up my trash Chris and I walked over and I said for a moment just like this so that you might ask that very question and I might have the opportunity to tell you that I drove all the way from Sand Springs Oklahoma I brought three vans of teenagers in our small little way of playing with kids over on the other side of this compound or, or here picking up the trash in your backyard, we just want to say, I want you to know, listen, I may not know you, but I love you. But more importantly, Jesus Christ loves you. One of the most unloving things we can do is have someone in our life that we care about, we love, but we know they do not have a relationship with Jesus. We know that if that cousin, that coworker, that neighbor, that friend, if they died today, we know they would spend eternity in hell. And yet we do nothing to show them the secret of life. And that secret of life, that reason we're all here, is only found in a loving, grace-filled, growing relationship with our Creator that's bought and paid for through his son, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood and gave his life on the cross. So Jesus not only changed the covenant, he also changed the way we approach God. Jesus showed up unto a Jewish religious system that had 613 laws. If you wanted to have their version of church, something had to die. If you wanted to use the utensils, something had to die. Only one person could go into the presence of God. Only one person could go into the Holy of Holies. Jesus walked up and when he was hanging on the cross and when he breathed his last, that veil that was in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Meaning man didn't tear that veil, God did. And the Bible says now that you and I can go boldly before the throne of grace. You and I, because of the work of Jesus on the cross, we can enter into his presence. If you wanted to have church, if you wanted to approach God, something had to die. Hebrews says that according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified by blood. Meaning, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Jesus was willing to love you and I enough to lay down his life and shed his blood on a bloody cross for the forgiveness of our sin. Our part 
book of Romans tells us is to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is the Son of God. He's divine. And believe in your heart, God miraculously raised him from the dead. Nobody called him out of that tomb. Jesus miraculously raised from the dead. By doing that, he overcame death, sin. You confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You will step into relationship with him. My question is, have you done that? Where you are today, do you know that you're in right relationship with God? Remember this conversation with Jesus and the lawyer? What's the greatest commandment? Well, there's two actually. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And love your neighbor yourself. And teacher, you've answered well. And he looked at him and he said, you're almost there. But he wasn't quite. Listen, you can obey all the commandments and still not make it. You have to place your faith in Jesus. You have to confess and believe. And I want to offer you a moment right now, not to embarrass you, not to ask you to walk the aisle, not to talk to anybody. I just want to offer you a moment where you can be made right with your Creator. You can be made right with Jesus. I'm just going to lead you in a simple prayer. It, it's not magic words. It's, it's, it's just a moment of surrender. All across this room, with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody moving around. The Holy Spirit's moving in this place. There's somebody here today that you know you're not in right relationship with God. You need to confess and believe. And I want to lead you in that prayer to do that. Are you ready? It's right there at your seat. I'm just going to lead you in this prayer. Just repeat after me. Say these words. Say, Dear Heavenly Father. Right there. Just, Dear Heavenly Father. I come to you today because I need you. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. And I'm so sorry. I repent of that. Would you forgive me? Would you come into my life? Would you save me? Begin to change me? You may not understand all of this. But I'm taking that step of faith. Confessing and believing. And today, Jesus, I surrender my whole life to you. Every head still bowed, never eyes still closed. Nobody's looking around, just me. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not asking you to walk the aisle. I'm not asking you to go to a room and talk to anybody. I just want to pray for you real quick before I let you go. If you're here this morning and you prayed that prayer with me word for word, just boldly slip up your hand so I can see you. Okay, all right. Anybody else? Slip it up high. All right. Spirit of the living God, you see those hands and those hearts this morning. Lord, your spirit calling us into relationship. God, I thank you for the Holy Spirit. It's always pulling and knocking on our heart's doors. And Father, for those hearts this morning, saying yes to that, saying yes to the mercy of Jesus. Jesus, thank you for shedding your blood so our sin could be forgiven. Lord, I pray for those hands this morning. Help them to understand. Help them to take that next step. Bring godly people in their life that can answer their questions and disciple them and guide them on this journey of growing as a Christian. Father, help us as your people love you. Lord, really help us to love our neighbor because that's harder. More importantly, God, help us to point them to the cross and help us to point them to your word that leads to a joy-filled life of fulfillment. In the beautiful, 
matchless name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody says, come on, would you give God the biggest praise you got this morning? Amen. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.